Well, good morning. My name is Jared Clary. I'm one of the pastors, and it is so good to be with you this morning. If you're a guest, we are so glad that you're here, and uh, we hope that you will make some connections, that you'll feel welcomed and loved, and that you'll, you'll get the sense that we're a family here. And so we hope that you'll feel that, and at the end of the service, we'll have a few instructions for you and different ways that you can connect, and we would love to do that. But we are concluding Luke today. Some of y'all are like, well, wait a minute. I thought, wasn't he in like 22 last week? He was. And now we're in 24, the end of 24. And so we're jumping forward. But the reason we're jumping forward is that we covered this section of text that we're skipping or jumping forward at Easter. And so let me encourage you to go back and listen to those. If you haven't heard those or listen to those and just be reminded of the, the incredible journey that Luke took us on in seeing the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. And, and really, as we get into Luke 24, Luke 24 as a chapter is the conclusion. And the, what Luke's doing in that is there's three different scenes, and they all kind of portray the same picture, but it's from these kind of different angles highlighting these different people. And so Luke 24 is the conclusion, but, but as we come in, Luke's doing this like mock three fly by, like just, you're like, well, wait a minute, what, huh? But the reason he can do that is because he's like, I've got another book coming. It's the book of Acts. And so he's going to fly by some things that you're going, wait, I've got so many more questions. Like, what, what about this? Or why, what about that? And, and so the beginning of Acts actually picks up with kind of the same timeline that we're seeing here. And so You can go and read that and get filled in on on the continuation of the story. But what I want us to see here is that there's an incredible encouragement for us. That Luke started the book writing in order that we might have certainty about the things which we have heard. That we would have confidence. That we would have a sure and steady faith. And so that's exactly what he's going to do in concluding, through the words of Jesus, this final push to say, have confidence. Have certainty about these things. Don't doubt. Don't disbelieve. Trust and have faith. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to do that in us. Lord, we come to you God, dependent, needy, that you would do in us what you have done for centuries, that you would reassure us by opening our eyes, by opening our ears, by opening our minds to understand your word. God, that you would transform our hearts. God, that you would help us to see things the way that you see them. To know you better that we might trust you fully. God, so this morning we're asking you to do that through your spirit, through your word. Lord, that you would give us a sure and steady confidence in the things of God. That no matter what comes our way, no matter what things we face, that our faith would be solid and steady. Lord, would you do that this morning in us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so 
here's what I want to do. I want to start at the beginning of the story, which is going to be verse 36. And this is this third scene. And I want to start there. And we're going to get the stage set. And then we're going to spend our time in the second half unpacking what it is, what this push is that Jesus makes for us. All right. So let's read verse 36. It says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved, for joy, they were marveling. And he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it before them. Okay, so let's set this stage and let's remember that the disciples, the followers of Jesus have been walking around with Jesus and they've, they've seen him do miracles. They've seen him stand up with the scroll of Isaiah and say, this is me. It's fulfilled in your hearing. They've seen him do all these miracles. They've seen him raise people. They've seen him heal people, blind people, lame people, sick people. They've seen him do all this stuff. They've heard all the words he said. And then they saw him betrayed. They saw him tried. They saw him crucified. They saw him taken down off of the cross. They saw him put into a tomb. Then they heard the stories. The tomb's empty. The angels told us not to seek the dead, not to seek the living among the dead, that Jesus is alive. They've heard the stories that Jesus was walking along a road to Emmaus with these people and and he began to recount all the things concerning the scriptures about himself. And their heads are spinning, as ours would be, right? Like, what? What is going on? And then Jesus shows up in the room. Peace to you. (laughs) Not feeling it right now, right? But he shows up in the room and, and they're startled and frightened. And they thought they saw a spirit. Right? Like what else explains a dead person coming back to life and suddenly showing up in the room? Except it's a ghost. They're startled and they're frightened. And then he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Right? Like he's addressing their doubt, their fear. And he's addressing it not with rebuke, but with compassion. Look how he answers. See my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me. See me. Come. Have confidence. Have certainty. Come. Touch, feel, see, experience me. He goes even a step further and he says to them, 
Do you have anything to eat? He's addressing again like ghosts don't eat. Right? Like some food. It's me. It's really me. There's a movie, Hook. It was one of my old favorites. And there's this moment where Robin Williams goes back and he's Peter Pan, but he's old and he's out of shape and all this stuff. And this kid starts feeling on his face and he's like, is it you? I see it. I see it. It's really him. It's him. Like there's this moment where the disciples are like, is it really you? Are you really Jesus raised from the dead back among us, flesh and blood, not a ghost? And so he's addressing all of these fears and doubts so that they can have confidence, so that their experience can propel them forward into what he has for them. And this is where I want to spend our time. In verse 44, he says this. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, if you write in your Bible, that must right there is actually a theme throughout look. Luke, it's this divine must, that there are things that have to happen. And we go, well, why? Why why must this happen? It has to be. And so as we ask that question, why does it have to be this way? Then we get the answer that because it was promised. And because God, who does not change, always keeps his promise. Well, where was it promised? Well, it was promised all the way back in Genesis to Adam that there would be someone who would crush the head of the serpent. There was a promise that was given to Noah that he wouldn't destroy humanity, but that actually he would redeem it. It's a promise given to Abraham that he's going to have a people and a place for himself, for his glory, to be a blessing to the nations. There's a promise to Moses. And there's a promise to David. Then there's some promises that he gives in Ezekiel and Jeremiah about a new covenant and a, a, a reconciliation that God's going to bring, not based off of man, but based off of God himself doing it. That God would have a people who are redeemed for himself, for his glory, to be a blessing. It must happen because God promised that he would do it. So the things written about in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms, they had to happen. And Jesus says, everything written about me has happened. But they didn't see it. And oftentimes we don't see it. But verse 45, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, this, thus it is written that the Christ, the son of man, the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one should suffer. And on the third day, rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. 
that this is what must happen, that the Christ, the promised one, had to die in order to satisfy the just penalty, the wrath of God against sin, in order that God could have a people for himself, for his glory, dwelling in unity with him. It had to happen. And it was written, and Jesus spoke about it, and he accomplished it all. That's the first point that I want you to see, is that Jesus accomplished what he said. He did it. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, then we have multiple times where Jesus is telling the disciples, this is what's going to happen. The Son of Man, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be buried, and on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. And I'm going to satisfy the wrath of God, the just penalty against sin, so that anyone who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord, they will be saved. And he accomplished it. Jesus accomplished what he said. Now this is really important for us, right? Because this is the foundation that we build everything upon. If Christ didn't accomplish it, then there is no forgiveness for sins. If Christ didn't accomplish what he said, then you and I stand guilty before a holy and a just God with an infinite penalty that we cannot pay. But that's not the case. Because Jesus did accomplish it. And so this is the foundation upon which we build our lives. It is the solid rock. It is not shifting sand. It doesn't move. It is finished, as Jesus said on the cross. It is done. There is a sure and steady footing for you to build your life on that. Not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, not tossed around by the cultural wisdom of the day, not tossed around by your emotions like we sang about, but based on the sure accomplishment that Jesus finished it, that he did what he said he would do. And the resurrection gives us proof of that, that he satisfied the wrath of God. And he rose from the dead. Jesus accomplished what he said. But then from this sure and steady foundation, Jesus is going to propel the disciples into their mission, into their calling, into what he has for them. Look at verse 48 and 49. He says, you are witnesses of these things. What things? The things which Jesus had accomplished. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. The second thing that we see in this text is that Jesus equips us for our mission. That we are witnesses. Witnesses of what? The things which God has done. What are we supposed to say? We're supposed to proclaim the forgiveness of sins to all the nations. But there's two aspects of Jesus' equipping that I want to highlight here. The first is experience. Jesus equips us through our experience. What does that mean? Well, he calls us witnesses. The disciples had seen 
They had heard, they had touched. What is a witness? It's someone who's seen, heard, or touched. You're a witness because of your experience. Witness is about what? What God has done. You see, when you've trusted in Christ, you become an expert witness about the things which God has done. That God can take a wretched sinner like me and he can call you a saint because of what Jesus has accomplished. You're a witness. You know that struggle that you've had? You're a witness because of that. Because you've experienced that Jesus meets you where you're at. But he loves you enough not to leave you there. The pain and the hurt that you felt, you're a witness. Because you've experienced the fact that in this world we will have suffering, but Jesus has not abandoned us. That he was with us. And that he can get you through. That joy and excitement that you've had. The success. You're a witness. Because Jesus is with you in that. That Jesus blesses you beyond what you deserve. You're a witness because of the life and experience which you have. And it's a witness to the things which God has done in you and through you because of Christ. There's no longer a need for you to hide those things, to push them into back corners, to sweep them under the rug, to pretend like they didn't happen. Guess what? That's a part of your story that you bear witness to the goodness of God, that there is no valley too low for God to redeem out of. That there is no struggle you will face that God doesn't walk with you through and doesn't use to redeem. One of my favorite things to do is walk, people, walk with people through hardship. Because on the backside of that, what the gospel says is that that pain and that hurt that you're feeling, it's not wasted. God's going to use it. And he's going to use it in your life, but he's going to use it in the people around you. Because God's going to bring someone else who's facing that same struggle, who's facing that same hurt, and you're going to be able to bear witness. Because you've seen it. You've heard it. You've felt it. And now you say to them, don't give up. God hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forsaken you. Keep trusting in him. Jesus equips us for our mission through the experience that we have. But second, he equips us for our mission through the spirit which he gives. Look at this. This is incredible. He says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. That word promise there harkens back to this covenant language, this idea that there is a promise which God has made, the promise of my Father upon you. This promise is the Holy Spirit. Jesus in one of the other Gospels actually says, hey, it's better for me to go and leave you so that the Spirit comes, the Helper comes. Like, that's mind-blowing. 
We think if Jesus was sitting in here, man, that would be awesome. That would be better. That would be incredible. Jesus flips that on his head and says, no, 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 no. You all have messed this up. It's best for me to go so that the spirit comes because the spirit is going to be in you. Not with you, in you. You have the power of God dwelling in you. That's radical. I hate the words, I can't. I hate them. My kids sometimes will say it and I'm like, yes, you can. Maybe not on your own. Maybe not with your own self-reliance. Maybe not in the way you thought. But if you'll look around with the resources you have, with the people around you, you can. I can't reach it. Ask. I can't do it. Yes, you can. Figure it out. Find a way. Jesus is equipping his followers with the power of God to accomplish the mission which he calls them to. How are we going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to every nation? I can't. Yes, you can. The power of God lives in you. He's equipped the church that through your life experiences, sharing the good news of the gospel as it spreads from person to 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 person. It reaches the ends of the earth. Well, I don't know how to share the gospel. I can't. Yes, you can. The power of God lives in you if indeed you are in Christ. Well, there's this sin that I just can't get rid of. I can't overcome. Yes, you can. The power of God lives in you and he's equipping you with the mission that he's called you to. You see, we need to live in light of this. That Jesus has equipped us for the mission in which he's called us to. That he's empowered us through the experiences of seeing his faithfulness, but through his spirit, which dwells in us. This was the point in this sermon that's just been wrecking me. I don't live like this. Just admit I don't. I need to confess and repent of that. And I have been, as I've studied this, that, that I don't live like this. I hate the words I can't, and I think that's because I feel them so often. God, I can't do that. God, I can't. Yes, you can. Because I'm equipping you with my spirit. Jesus equips us for our mission. But the third thing that I want us to see in this text as we've seen that we're, Jesus accomplished it, so we have a foundation. He equips us and launches us out, but, but that's a scary place to be. And so third, we see that Jesus secures our hope for the future. Jesus secures our hope for the future. Where does that come from? Well, it comes in verse 50 through 53. Let's read this. It says, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them, 
And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Okay, so, so what's happening here? Well, again, this is Luke's flyover. And so Jesus, we actually know, was with these disciples for like 40 days, teaching them and explaining things to them before verse 50, before he ascended. But he leads them out as far as Bethany, so out of town. And he lifts up his hands and he begins to bless them. Now this is a picture that harkens back to all of these Old Testament pictures of the patriarchs blessing and and ushering in this blessing upon them and, and speaking life and value and mission and the things of God into their life. And so Jesus is blessing them And then it says, and he parted from them and was carried into heaven. This is not Jesus with a jetpack, right? This is a supernatural, divine raising up the ascension of Christ. It's the ascension of Christ to his rightful place, right? To the throne of God, to the right hand. And he's going to sit down right there. Until all of his enemies are made a footstool for him. And he's coming back. You see, the sure foundation that Jesus accomplished everything that he said he would also gives us full assurance that Jesus is going to accomplish everything that he said he would. And so the disciples are in this place where they've, they've seen Jesus ascend into heaven But it's different because instead of the last time Jesus left them, when they despaired and had fear and unbelief and hopelessness, this time they respond with a different action. They respond with joy and with worship. Why? What's the difference? Well, the first time that the disciples saw Jesus go away from them, when he was buried, when he died on the cross and was buried, then they despaired because they didn't know, is he really going to raise from the dead? Well, Jesus had told them, right? He told them that he would. So why did they despair? Well, because they didn't believe. They didn't hope in the future. The future looked grim for them because they didn't have hope for the future. Is he really going to come back? That's the question, right? Is he really going to come back from the dead? To which the answer was yes. He said he would. But now they're in the same exact place. Jesus is leaving them and he's given them a promise that he's going to come back someday. But their reaction is totally different. Instead of despair and hopelessness and fear, they worship and have joy. Why? Because they hope in the future. Because they believe the promises. Because they're standing on the sure and steady faith that Jesus accomplishes what he says he will. And that goes for the past, present, and future. He's coming back. So they worship and wait. Well, you and I are in the same place. 
that Jesus is not here with us. Now, he has sent his spirit, the power of God, to dwell in us. But we're in the same place. Is Jesus going to come back? Is Jesus going to come back? Yes. He is going to come back. Your hope is secure for the future. Jesus said it would happen. So what do I do in the meantime? You worship and you wait. You worship and you wait. We accomplish the mission which we've been sent for while we hope for our future. Now, what does that look like? Well, in here we get a little bit of the context of what that looked like, that they returned back to Jerusalem. They were walking in obedience. Okay, so they are obeying what Jesus had told them. So we walk in obedience. That's part of how we worship. With great joy, right? That we've got countless commands in the scripture to be joyful, that there is nothing this world can do to you which God doesn't have authority over and that he's not going to redeem. And so even in our suffering, we rejoice because we have a sure and steady hope that Jesus is going to do what he said he would do. Well, what are those things that he said he would do? Revelation tells us he's going to wipe away every tear. Man, that's going to be awesome. That death will be no more. Man, that's going to be that there will be no more pain, there will be no more hurt, there will be no more sin, there will be no more struggle, that we will live in our created way with God. We hope for that. And it's secure because of what Christ has done. Man, that's awesome. So we obey, we wait, we worship with joy. And look at what they did. They were continually in the temple blessing God. That's worship. They gathered as a body to encourage each other and to worship. Sometimes I think it's helpful for our outward actions to, to help us express internal realities. As we worship, as Granger was talking about worship, why do we sing? Such a great reminder. Why do we sing? I heard a pastor talk about one time of like, why do, why do people raise their hands in worship? And I think there's an outward expression. And so if I could just maybe take a minute to kind of walk through this, that if you have little kids, then you've seen a little kid walk up and go like this, right? What does it mean? Hold me. I just want to be close. There's something that I'm unsure about. There's something that, that I just need an embrace. I just need to be reminded of your love for me, your comfort. Hold me. They also do it if they fall down. I'm hurt. Hold me. You're my safe place. Hold me. That there can be an expression of our worship that just goes, God, will you hold me? God, I've got doubts right now and I just need to be reassured of your embrace. Hold me. If you've ever been to an LSU football game, then there's a different expression of raising hands, right? Yes. It's excitement. It's, yeah, we did something good. That's awesome. Go get them again. Like, yes, yes. And maybe that's the expression 
that you need to portray as you worship God. God, yes, you have conquered death and there is no more sting. Yes, you rose from the dead and you secured my resurrection. Yes. God, do it again. God, there's victory over sin. Yes. Or if you've watched a Western movie, don't shoot. I surrender. You can have it all. I surrender. God, I've been holding on to stuff. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I surrender. God, I give it up. God, I, I don't have anything to offer. God, I surrender it all. God, I, I, it's not worth it. It's not satisfying me the way that it promised. Only you do that. God, I, I surrender. Maybe that's the expression of worship. As you wait for the Lord to return. As you wait for him to secure our future. That there's an expression of worship, but the clear teaching is that we need to worship. We can't encounter Jesus in this way and stay the same. Maybe this morning it's the first time that, that God has begun to open your mind to understand the scriptures. And for the first time you're like, man, I am a sinner. I am not right with God. I've been holding on to things or thinking that my goodness would outweigh my bad and that would get me in or, or thinking that I could, I could fake it. And you're in a place where God has opened your mind to understand these things and your expression just needs to be, God, I surrender. I'm trusting in Jesus alone to save me because I've got nothing to offer. That's the first step. That's called Salvation. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and he did what he said he would do and that's it. And then you begin to walk in community, figure it out with groups of people around you helping you understand God's word. We would love nothing more than to do that with you. Maybe there's just something you just need to be excited about. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the wisdom you've given. Thank you for the restoration you've given. Thank you for the success that you've given. Thank you for the small victory over sin that you've given. Like, yes. But you need to worship. That's the call. That's the command. Let's pray and just ask that God would do this. And, and I want you to feel freedom. As we sing these songs and these words, it's an incredible song of just what Christ has accomplished. I want you to feel freedom to worship. You have a call and a command in scripture that that's the right action. Lord, we thank you for your spirit which dwells among us and lives in us. Lord, we thank you that, Jesus, you accomplished what you said you would, that you purchased our freedom. That we can have confidence. That we can have a sure and steady faith. Lord, that you equip us for the mission that you called us to, that through the experiences that we walk, that you are with us and that you redeem those and restore those and that you 
bear witness through us of all that Christ has done. And Jesus, we are thankful for our future, which is secure in you. That you are on your throne. That you are ruling and reigning even now. But for a little time, you've delayed. In order that more might come to know you. In order that more might repent of their sin and put their faith in you. That you have delayed a little longer. So that we might bear witness and others might trust. But we know you're coming back. So Lord, help us as we wait. Help us to worship you. Help us to live as witnesses in the places and with the people that you've surrounded us with. That we would bear witness of the things which you have done. That you have purchased our freedoms, satisfied the wrath of God, adopted us into your family, and call us brothers and sisters. Oh, what a secure hope we have because of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.